0: Hello and welcome to the 909 podcast. It is myself Nile and Andrea Cleary here. How are you doing Andrea?
1: I'm good Nile. How are you doing?
0: Great. I'm great. Um yes, it's a we have a special guest on today's podcast. Um we're going to get straight into talking about uh the topic that everyone seems to be talking about at the moment which is Spotify. And it's the problematic associations with being on Spotify and uh, Joe Rogan and all that kind of stuff. Um, mm-hmm. And joining us today, I'm, I'm, I'm delighted to say because I tried to make this happen before. I actually literally met Liz. Uh, this, so our guest is Liz Pelly, who you may know as the writer who uh, has done a lot of... Uh, very in-depth pieces about spotify and the issues around spotify around playlisting about uh, gender balance and all sorts of issues uh, around uh, streaming services and uh, i i met liz before it, like liz used to live uh, well liz used to actually intern in dublin for a few months uh, about 10 12 years ago and uh, well, that's how i first got to know her and uh, is has gone on to be uh, a great and uh, a uh, shining example of, of a music writer and journalist in the modern age and it's been really great to get our back because uh, we did try and do something about spotify for the podcast a number of years ago last time i was in new york and it did not work out and uh, for some reason it didn't record gremlins I mean, we haven't had gremlins for a while touch wood, <laughs> Such wood. I'd, I'd be careful uh, about
1: saying that actually yes <laughs> i <I'm> just like <laughs> before oh, we've uploaded oh, dear. this but yes oh dear oh dear yeah no ghosts uh-huh. in the machine for a while thank god
0: yeah, so Liz joins us to talk about um, probably the question that a lot of people, and certainly a lot of people, have been talking to me about in the last week is like, what is the alternative to Spotify? Are there alternatives to Spotify? Mm. What should we be looking for? And so Liz is going to uh, talk to us about that. Uh, and I think why, like Andrea, then why are we talking about this in the first place? What, yeah, so what's been happening?
1: In case anyone has been like on holidays, which I think is allowed at the moment um or just hasn't been checking the news here's a kind of a very quick run through of like what the very what the most current controversy around spotify is um and of course it comes down to joe rogan because where joe rogan goes controversy will follow um And we, as we know that that is how Joe Rogan makes his money. Um, Spotify knew that back in 2020 when they acquired the full rights to his podcast, The Joe Rogan Experience, um, as well as the backdated episodes that went back for 11 years. And they acquired that for $100 million was like the biggest deal of its kind and it's gone on to influence kind of um Spotify's role in like the podcasting space um in a really really major way like we've had Irish um podcasters uh you know signing uh, the two Johnnies. they signed like a Spotify only deal um it's become it's become big um and Joe Rogan in particular has always kind of garnered controversy he's given platform to white supremacists, conspiracy theorists, and he has spread false information about everything from uh, where forest fires started to the COVID-19 vaccine and and its viability. But recently it's vaccines that have kind of drawn the ire of people. Um, Rogan, basically uh, over a few different podcasts, uh, stated that young healthy people didn't need to get a vaccine. Uh, To be clear, they do. he has promoted the use of ivermectin to treat COVID-19 and to be clear it does not and it's very dangerous please don't do that and has falsely stated that mRNA vaccines uh, are gene therapy and that lockdowns make things make things worse uh, both of which are also false and it's that that kind of last one there the mRNA thing went really kind of that kind of blew up and it finally came to be that Spotify was um, being looked at in terms of how are we going to, you know, hold the spreading of misinformation accountable. Uh, enter Neil Young um, and jo- <laughs> and Joni Mitchell uh, to follow, um, who both in the past week pulled their music from the streaming platform, um, accusing the platform of spreading misinformation and that then led to spotify adding a content advisory warning to any podcast that discusses COVID 19 uh, which is i think the best example of putting a band-aid on a on a, a bleeding wound um, as i as i can imagine um chief executive uh daniel x said on sunday Based on the feedback over the past several weeks, it's become clear to me that we have an obligation to do more to provide balance and access to widely accepted information from the medical and scientific communities guiding us through this unprecedented time. The platform has failed to remove any of Rogan's podcast episodes, despite overwhelming evidence that they are contributing to the spread of misinformation and hate. Um, that's the general rundown of what's happened over the past week. Um, this podcast, we're recording this on Wednesday. More might have happened. Taylor Swift might have taken her music off Spotify. Uh, for all we know, by the time this podcast comes out, but what you and I have been seeing, and I'm sure what a lot of other people, what what listeners are seeing, is um, a shift in how we're talking about it. I, I've personally seen a lot of people on um, my Instagram stories um, posting that they have now shifted to tidal um, because they pay their artists slightly more but more still um, and that they're getting rid of their spotify accounts and it's in the news right now and i'm hoping that it stays in the news but spotify's always been a piece of shit hasn't it now
0: <laughs> uh, here we are uh possibly with people listening to us on uh, this podcast on spotify talking about it mm, yeah. <laughs> but yeah i yeah. guess i think what's interesting about this right is that you know Obviously, there's been we did a podcast last year called about broken record and the the how streaming is broken, how the the entire system of of uh, the music economics for for artists is, is broken. But mm. it's funny that it took like something as divisive as Joe Rogan for a lot of people to actually take mm. a stand. Uh, the Neil Young thing is interesting because in one way, you know, he's a very established artist who who isn't going to lose an awful lot from taking his music off streaming, uh, but in in the flip side, he actually is one of the rare artists who can do this because he can mm. take a stand because it won't uh, hurt him financially because that's the, one of the problems about this. We uh, our new artists, especially like don't want to be seen to be pissing Spotify off. They would don't want to be, they want to be featured on playlists. They want to get whatever Spotify gives them. And I, and, and that's totally understandable as well, but it was interesting that it took like Neil Young um, to, strike out of joe rogan and make a stand about uh, misinformation mm. as opposed to the streaming service issues and then um, the royalty mm. issues that are a wider issue and i think you know young made no uh, he actually didn't talk about the poor pound rates at all and and mm. what neil young essentially said to spotify was do you care more about music or making money and spotify mm. said the latter we may yeah. we want to make money uh, yeah. spotify chose audio over music a long long time ago and that's very clear from the fact that they've uh, enlisted somebody like joe rogan who they paid 100 million in order to be on their platform so mm. you know i think it has prompted a lot of people to reflect whether they're comfortable in how spotify operates and which is in a way sad because like the royalty rates have been very low for quite a while and whether mm. you jump from one to another doesn't really answer the question that is debatable so i think that's why we got liz on today to talk about you know the wider issues that the future issues and the future um uh, ideas that could uh, somehow make their its way back into a what a music sustainable music uh, model could be as well so yeah. that's what we're going to talk to um to Liz Pelly about and uh yeah so I think it is interesting as well the the um Neil Young thing because he obviously has a bit of a bugbear he put out another letter after all this stuff after his music was taken down saying basically giving out about Spotify's uh, audio uh, quality <laughs> mm. <laughs> um I mean I and think he, he even I actually think
1: like sorry go ahead
0: He even just, you know, mentions Amazon, Apple Music and Quo Buzz, which I don't know, I've never heard of, uh, says that it sounds a lot better than the shitty degraded and neutered sound of Spotify. So he has a bugbear about this and he has in the past. You may remember about 10 years ago, he um, started a high quality uncompressed streaming service or like download service called Pono, um, Mm. which is basically his answer to this audio quality fidelity problem. Um, So he he certainly has that that bugbear as well. So I think that's another part of it.
1: Yeah, I I think the um, as as Liz um, kind of says in our chat that there is two kind of conversations going on at the moment. One is about having a sustainable model for artists, and the other is about the spread of misinformation. I'm personally not surprised that it's the misinformation thing that has. you know, brought, brought this into the kind of the mainstream conversation, and it meant that it's getting a lot of mainstream coverage. Because, as as much as a sustainable kind of model for musicians is part of our life and our conversations, um, and conversations of, with musicians and artists and and creative people, day to day people aren't, you know as kind of impacted by that um the the kind of the consumers of of the of these platforms aren't as impacted by that they're getting their music either way whereas if you take something like misinformation spreading false information spreading potentially um dangerous and life-threatening information on a platform that becomes a A public health concern, um, as opposed to just not not just uh, as opposed to bad labor practices, which is something that we have become used to seeing and maybe a little bit desensitized to. So I'm not surprised that this is happening. I'm glad that it's happening, and I'm glad that the um that the topic of um adequate payment for uh, streams for artists is kind of piggybacking on the um it's kind of point two in in the in the current cultural conversation which means that's it's a lot higher than it was before um and i think liz speaks really really great on this um she was an excellent guest um and thank you again liz for sharing all of your wonderful research um with us so, will we go to that chat?
0: Yeah. And it would be remiss of me, of course, not to mention our own um, subscription model that is patreon.com forward slash Nyler9. And um, you can uh, subscribe from five or a month and help support. I think it's all about, you know, we talk about this a lot supporting independent publications and outlets. And that's what we are. And I think yep. it's way more important now as, uh, you know, as the, the numbers start to dwindle in terms of, uh, uh, at the outlets for on radio whether it's somebody like John Barker whose show has uh, gone as of this week the Totally Irish show yeah. um, and there's other many other examples in the last few years so um, look so you, you need support to the artists directly and and publications like ourselves who also are part of the conversation so that's patreon.com forward slash 999 so yeah we'll go over to uh, chat to Liz Pell Certainly a lot of people I know are having that uh, conversation about, okay, I don't like Spotify. What is my, of my alternative? It feels a bit more like that argument or that uh, thought process is a bit more mainstream suddenly um, for a lot of people. So what is your perspective on on all of this stuff that's been happening in terms of how people are reacting to, do you feel that as well? Do you feel any shift in terms of uh, people reacting negatively to, um, well, I guess, I guess start with Spotify.
2: Yes, it certainly has been incredible to see the surge of interest around these topics over the past week or so. It's kind of unreal in some way to see how mainstream a conversation that has been happening um, for years now has become. I think that in some ways, Uh, There are aspects of the conversation that are misguided. There are some missed opportunities that are happening. There are some interesting and important things that are being talked about. So um, it's it's sort of a mix. But when it comes to the crux of the interrogation of Spotify that I'm sort of hearing a lot of people have right now, it seems like there's two main topics that are coming up, which um, is uh, not too surprising. On one hand, people are very concerned about misinformation and they're concerned about um, Spotify's platform power and the Uh, ways in which they are sort of abusing the narrative that they are a platform and not a publisher, Um, kind of like an extension of a conversation that's been going on for years and years and years about other platforms like Facebook and Twitter and YouTube. Um, This isn't the first time that these topics have come up. Um, Personally, like I wrote an article two years ago about Spotify's shift into podcasting for the baffler called Podcast Overlords, where I was sort of posing some of these questions. Also, what does it mean for... I mean, business model aside, um, like, what does it mean for Spotify to be positioning itself as a media company? Does it have any breaks or functions in place to um, do anything about misinformation and hateful content on the platform? And, you know, the answer obviously is that their preparation for this moment um, was insufficient. And in some ways, like, I think they definitely saw this coming and just didn't care because they're a publicly traded corporation whose responsibility is to their shareholders and to getting new subscribers on uh, drawing more advertising and, um, you know, uh, selling their products to Wall Street. Um, So, so there's that whole conversation, right, about like misinformation and platform power. And then um, at the same time, there's a lot of artists um, who are trying to kind of like sort of seize this moment and shift the conversation to being less about, um, you know, the, what is kind of like perceived as a sort of like culture war um, and shift the conversation towards um, labor and the treatment of musicians on streaming services that artists have been talking about for years and years and years to this point, um, just sort of also remind people like, yes, it's absolutely an extremely important thing to be talking about um, misinformation and the fact that streaming companies are valuing their own profit and engagement over human lives. Um, that obviously is extremely important, but also there are ways in which these companies have been Um, you know, negatively affecting musicians on a material basis for years as well. And that also has um, really dire consequences for the people whose work goes into making it so that these products can exist. Um, So it's sort of like a misinformation media uh, platform responsibility conversation and music and labor conversation that is going on. Um, and. I, it, it does make sense because, like, when you think about streaming services, um, the the big conversations always sort of come back to, you know, the listeners' experience and the musicians' experience. Um, streaming companies like Spotify sort of position themselves as these two-sided marketplaces where they have a product that they're selling to listeners and a product that they're selling to artists. Um, and I think it makes sense that you would see kind of these big explosive conversations around both sides of that equation happening at the same time. Do do, do you see a
1: link between these two conversations? Because I suppose there's the the, the responsibility of the platform is inextricably linked in both the kind of labor practice um, issues on the artist side of things, and also on the misinformation side of things Spotify seems to have been able to wiggle its way out uh, kind of following um in in the footsteps of of a platform like YouTube has been able to kind of wiggle its way out of that and on the other side of it it's been able to kind of wiggle its way out of um confronting uh not paying artists like a, a living wage for kind of you know it's being the scaffold of of their of their uh, model. So, do you, do you see a, a link between those two things, or is there a central kind of problem that you've identified with Spotify um, that kind of spider webs out into all of these other problems that we kind of find with them as a platform?
2: Uh, I don't want to get too ahead of myself, but for the past year or so, a lot of my own writing about streaming and Spotify has sort of focused on not just thinking about. As consumers, like what more ethical choices can we make within the marketplace to support artists better or to um try to kind of like figure out the lesser of two, like which of these streaming services pays artists 0.0 cents more than the other one? (laughs) But instead thinking about like how we sort of um uh think about the bigger picture and how we could like, in addition to all of those, doing all those things to kind of like hold these corporate powers to account, uh, try to rein in the exploitation of artists, um, not let them to continue getting away with uh, all these exploitative practices, but also think like, how do we extract ourselves from this uh, corporate model in general and just try to kind of like think about the bigger picture of not just like music, but arts funding, like how do we um, move towards models where art is being valued as a public good, like, um, I think with streaming and Spotify, you're sort of looking at like a very small aspect of like a much larger problem, which is that, um, you know, the music industry has always exploited artists and devalued music and art um so you know they're not like new problems they're um old problems playing out in new ways um so i wrote this article last year called socialized streaming that was kind of thinking about um at least like in the u.s like what would it look like to have a nationalized taxpayer funded streaming service um and you know also have been th- looking into for a while now and lots of other people have been talking about this, like the idea of a um, cooperatively run streaming service where artists can be involved in the governance of the platform. There's this cooperatively run streaming service called resonate that has existed since 2015. Um, And then I've also been doing a lot of research into public library run music streaming programs, um, which are pretty popular across the U S and Canada. So um, these are kind of just different ways of, thinking about the role that digital tools play in our lives, um, our sort of like collective responsibility to consider music as a public good and to like really think about, you know, um, the ways in which we fund and support art. Um, Yeah.
1: I loved reading that piece um, regarding the, the, um, Particularly the, the the library funded streaming services because it kind of start is it right that it it started in Chicago? Um, do I have that right? Or or there was oh so there, um, there was a particular not, library that 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 you kind of began the piece with that was in Chicago, and it yeah. was like oh we have to do it on a small scale before we can do it on a big scale. What I loved re- reading in 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 that piece was that libraries just because of who the, who they're run by and what their form is they just instinctively shared it with each other because that's what libraries do because they're great <laughs> and and then it got it got kind of taken up on, on on a more kind of widespread scale which was amazing
2: yeah so in that article i had sort of like charted the um history of some of these library run chewing projects. And it's interesting, you know, like they, um, for over a decade now, um, there are libraries across the U S and Canada where librarians themselves have kind of spearheaded these projects and they've sort of been like, um, uh, built from like the, Through libraries Um, and the instance you're talking about in Chicago is really interesting. So there's um, a musicians union that formed at the beginning of the pandemic called the Union of Musicians and Allied Workers. And in Chicago right now, there's actually a group of musicians, part of the Union of Musicians and Allied Workers, Chicago chapter that are Um, like exploring and trying to organize around proposing an idea for this to the library so I thought that was really interesting because it was Mm -hmm. an example of like um, whereas lots of these projects historically have come from started in the library this is like artists sort of like banding together to sort of um, try to kind of like demand it of um, Mm -hmm. their sort of like local libraries and public services. Um, so, So it's kind of, yeah, it is sort of interesting. And I know it's kind of like a big conversation and could seem really disconnected from the subject at hand, which is like people trying to figure out in the exact short term, like what they could do to make more ethical decisions or sort of like stop putting their 9.99 a month into this company mm-hmm. that they don't believe in. But I, I think that, you know, I, my my main response to this, this question is like, you know, people absolutely should like, you mm-hmm. know, Try to figure out ways to spend their 9 a month that they're more comfortable with and that they feel are more in line with their values, like whether that means like looking at the decimal points of pennies and figuring out one that um, is where there's more penny fractions going to musicians Mm -hmm. but i also would just kind of like question people to sort of like not only think about that but like rethink their entire relationship to the concept of paying 9.99 a month for this huge catalog of quote unquote all the music in the world and like whether or Mm -hmm. not that system is truly sustainable and like um you know there's uh other ways of thinking about our relationship to music. And I would, I would challenge people to kind of like push their <laughs> um, reckoning in this moment, like even further, um, mm-hmm. if, if for people who have like never even considered maybe like taking that nine ninety nine a month and just like buying an album on Bandcamp instead. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. that that is um, also. Well, it's so interesting because you, like we're, we're the last generation that really
1: remembers what it's like to um, spend money on like a CD, for example, and that just being the only new thing that you can listen to that week. I think we've all grown really comfortable um, in the idea that we have this expansive, like <laughs> and like seemingly infinite uh, access to music. Which, as music lovers, and I, I think a lot, a lot of people's kind of resistance to leave the platforms like Spotify or Apple or Tidal or or, or whatever it might be is, you know, the fear that they're not going to discover new music. Um, but I have been having conversations with myself and kind of telling myself, you kind of did okay before. Like, and it's not as if I'm listening to like all of this new music all of the time on like I'm I I think I'm probably still only listening to like the same 10 albums all the time anyway when when I'm not kind of actively trying to discover new music anyway so I don't know how how we're going to break that cycle without kind of breaking what it is that we've now decided listening to music and being a music fan is which is more like collecting new bands um, and putting them on on a playlist as opposed to having new bands and owning and and supporting their work I don't know if you feel that way Niall.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I think that's a, I think that's the first time we're really having that discussion about the access of, mm. of, um, that music now. Cause it was kind of like the monolith and that's all you could do. Whether you chose a different flavor of the monolith was the same thing. You're still getting the access to, and I think what people, what most music fans who are casually streaming music are like, just, don't want to miss out on their favorite artists or a big artist. are like, Oh, I can't listen to that. Cause it's not on this. So it, it ends up, that's why Spotify ends up being the big one or Apple music people. If people want to pick that one, you know, it's just like, they are, the, the music is there and that's why people mm. go to it. But, you know, it, I did see a tweet like last week by Ross Grady said, I love that people are looking for alternatives to Spotify and I don't know how to explain to them that it's never been ethical or sustainable to expect to have unfettered access to the entire history of recorded music for $10 a month.
1: Yeah. You know,
0: and then I like that's the fundamental point here is that it's mm. never been, we've never been, that's never been sustainable. It's not sustainable now. It never has been sustainable. Um, so I think that's why now people are asking those questions about the alternatives of of what that is. Yeah, something like joe rogan might help um accidentally spur that on but it just points to okay i'm giving my money to a company that doesn't value musicians artists Mm. but would rather it's an audio company like it's a company that now is focused on audio as opposed to musicians
1: yeah liz when i was reading so so some of your articles before we jumped on the call something that i kind of noticed and and reading around it as well is that there seemed to be and I wonder if you could explain it a little bit to us a shift in what Spotify's kind of business model was when it acquired like Gimlet Um, when when it started becoming a podcast platform um, I was reading a, a little bit about how it's moving into the kind of the content farm sort of side of things as well, which is something that I wasn't that familiar with because I'm not a playlist on Spotify. I don't listen to the stuff that Spotify gives me. So I've kind of missed out on all of that, but um, obviously a huge part of the people that listen to Spotify do kind of click on those, you know, curated playlists. Um, could you tell us a little bit about that, the, the the impact that kind of acquiring podcasts and moving into content farm, uh, you know, curation or creation rather. Um, it impacts the model overall
2: yeah it's interesting um you know i guess maybe a more fundamental question to start with could be like why did they get into podcasting or why did they buy these companies and um there's a few different reasons to my knowledge um one being that they are you know these streaming companies are always trying to expand their subscriber base. And um, this idea of being able to sign on exclusive podcasts um, is a way of increasing their subscriber base Um, uh, that has lots of implications, not just like the ones we're seeing now with how that changes their responsibility as a publisher, but also for the podcasting Ecosystem also, um, something that I wasn't even really fully aware of until I started researching um, Spotify's entry into the podcasting space is the extent to which, you know, podcasting has been historically, like fundamentally sort of built on this idea of like an open ecosystem where podcasts are like um, freely available across all platforms and um, easy to Uh, find and accessible. And this kind of like, in some ways really, uh, you know, pushes um, audio storytelling into this more like very closed off um, ecosystem, which has a lot of consequences. Um, So they're trying to get new subscribers onto their platform. Um, There's also an element um, having to do with advertising, you know, even if you have a paid subscription on Spotify, Um, you'll still hear advertisements on podcasts. So in some ways it's sort of like a way to um, insert new forms of advertising onto the platform, Um, data collection. I mean, I think something that has been like really overlooked in the current kind of ongoing conversations this past week or the extent to which, you know, whether you're on Spotify or you're deciding you're gonna cancel Spotify and switch to um, another, platform, um, there's always the the question of surveillance and privacy, which I think is like really important to um, consider and sort of like keep front of mind as a core issue um, of uh, the way that streaming services not just sort of like surveil us and collect and sell our data, but also um, the effect it has on us as listeners. Um, so, so those are, you know, some of the the reasons I think why they got into the podcasting space. And also, um, you know, uh, when they have podcasts on the platform, Spotify is not like paying royalties to podcasters. So in some ways it's a way to have more audio content on their platform that uh, lowers their expenses because if people are coming to the platform, listening to podcasts, they're not paying out as many royalties um, to artists. Uh, And um, also it, At least at first, it seemed like in addition to like acquiring podcasts and signing on all these exclusives, they were also creating their own podcasts in um, Spotify Studios, which they actually just shut down like quite recently. Um, But it seemed to kind of be this way to have content on the platform that they had full ownership over, and they kind of could like have more control over. Because ultimately, that's kind of what these platforms are trying to do. They're trying to um, control their product as much as possible. so that's uh also another um big factor into it and then you know in the article that um uh i wrote a couple years ago i also was really looking into kind of like the consequences of not just sort of podcast playlists but like um you know that question of Control and management of our listening environment that these very powerful platforms um, have. It, I think the a move into podcasting is just sort of like an extension of that to kind of like have more control over what types of habits people are developing and they're listening. Like, what are, what are people waking up every day and like clicking on when they, um, you know, sit down to like do some work and have some music playing in the background? And, but it's, it's um, deja
1: vu in a way, isn't it? Because I mean, we've we've kind of already, we've had this conversation about YouTube and its algorithms and the impact that that can have on not just misinformation, but I mean, like really radicalizing people into very, very dangerous situations. And I think what what I find so frustrating about what I'm seeing with Spotify right now is that the, like like you said, the the same excuse of them being a publishing platform is definitely being used and very kind of um, tactfully so because they know that it works. But it is concerning once you bring, because I mean, a, a recommender system for music isn't going to do anything dangerous. It's just going to maybe narrow your music taste a little bit, but recommender system for spot for a podcast rather where they're not taking any uh, responsibility or control over the content. And that is actually a very scary thing to think about um especially when we think about how much trust people put into their favorite podcasters like joe rogan obviously comes to mind being like one of the biggest podcasters in the world and also being um <laughs> you know w- w- one of the most influential people in the world um which is kind of a a, a terrifying thought so it is de- deja vuish because we know what these systems and these recommender systems and these playlists can do and yet we're just seeing it again on another platform
0: yeah like isn't it weird that you, you know you like you alluded to liz the it's like spotify almost it's like they weren't really prepared for this <laughs> like what they really should have been because mm. like he's been saying this stuff for a while and it's only a matter of time before you know someone took a stand it gets interesting that you know i i, I don't know where that's gonna go and that and whether that actual whole story you know obviously neil young is a very established um uh, artist who has made his money and while there are implications for him taking his entire catalogue off of a streaming service like spotify um he has made that money and 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 he has he is a comfort where new artists are i loved what um in your article actually about the the libraries i was you you had a uh, uh, interviews with uh Raleigh Pemberton, uh, Cadence Weapon, he was talking about, you know, how the streaming companies are like the Wizard of Oz. Like, we don't really know what they are or who's mm-hmm. in charge. But we do know with Daniel Ek, um, <laughs> like, that he is the face of it. And, you know, over here, we're like, we can see him sitting in, in uh, football stadiums in, at Arsenal and uh, uh, within the, at the Emirates Stadium, like, wanting to buy the, the team. You seen him investing in, in a defence startup, which... For a lot of artists who are looking, you know, we're we're are looking to get more money or make more money. Especially in the last couple of years, in terms of just a living wage, you know, that kind of rubs people up the wrong way. I guess is there, you know, there is the other system then, rather than the system that Spotify uses for paying out um, artists and a lot of the other ones use. There's a user centric system. Is that anything? Is that any way of uh, addressing this? Do you think in terms of? the people rather than the misinformation part, but the actual streaming royalties part. Do you think that is any way useful?
2: My take on on user centric is that, Mm -hmm. you know, there are, um, uh, there's an argument that it would be helpful for musicians. There's an argument that things would end up playing out um, the same ways they always have. But um, uh, I know that like a lot of musicians unions have been calling for this for a long time. Um, So my sort of, take on it has been to sort of follow the demands of musicians unions. Like if there's tens of thousands of musicians saying that this is something that would be beneficial to them, I think it's uh, something that we should try out. So, and also, you know, um, uh, I, I think it, you know, it's one of these things that just like, fundamentally seems to make sense so for maybe for people who aren't as um uh who aren't unaware so it's like currently streaming services like spotify pay on a pro rata basis so it's the amount that you're an artist is paid isn't per stream, it's a percentage in comparison to how their number of streams stacks up in the total pool. So it's this very sort of, um, uh, it's it's very much a model where uh, pop stars and celebrities um, benefit. Um, and smaller artists, uh, are devalued, um, and user-centric would be a model where if I pay $10 a month and all I listen to is, you know, no name, my $10 would go to no name. Um, uh, and there are some services that have been, I know like SoundCloud has been, um, sort of experimenting with, I think they're calling nice. it like fan-powered royalties. And yeah. I know Title is um, experimenting with something. Um,
0: Deezer as well as, so. has a say, stated of support for user-centered payments, but I don't think they've instituted it. And I'm not sure why, if they're saying they support it. But anyway.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. I always have thought that Resonate's model is really interesting too. I know that they're not as popular Uh, a service um but they yeah but
0: tell us about it because i think people are interested
2: yeah so so in addition to resonate being this cooperative music streaming service where musicians whose workers on the platform have a, a vote in decision making and can attend an annual meeting and actually be involved in um the governance of the platform. The model is also something that they call stream to own. So um, it's sort of like a version of user-centric where instead of paying like an X amount of money per month, you sort of top up your account. And then as you stream, um, small amounts of money go towards the artists that you're streaming. And once you've streamed it nine times, Um, It's as if you've bought the MP3 and then you own it and then you don't have to like pay every time you stream it again. So it's kind of like a almost like a hybrid of user centric and buying songs on Bandcamp in a sense. Um, And to me, that kind of makes sense because that way it's like, you know. uh, Yeah, I I think, you know, sometimes I think people feel that uh, if they um, like the if you're paying each time you stream something, maybe people wouldn't be as like experimental or take chances with stuff that they're listening to you. But because eventually you um, own the song, it's kind of, I think evens out and yeah, it's just interesting to, um, you know, it's uh, not a type of model that I've seen like anyone else sort of put forward.
0: Yeah. And that's interesting as well. Cause I mean, I guess like, is it literally the only, only alternative we're talking about other than, you know, whether it's a, the American music library or any other streams like they just basically seem to operate off either either centric, that pool system or that hybrid, or then there's obviously like Bandcamp campus obviously had a huge success in the last couple of years, but, um, and in terms of like supporting artists directly and, you know, I mean, like ultimately is the answer to all of this, just like give, give your, if you want, if you want an artist to exist, you have to give them money. <laughs> you have to give them money directly. And that's the only way this is ever going to work. Like,
2: Yeah, I mean, definitely, like personally, um, I am a big proponent of people rebuilding their MP3 libraries. And that's kind of one of my preferred ways of um, listening to collecting music, other than obviously having a record and cassette collection, Um, but MP3s and buying stuff, whether it be on Bandcamp or, you know, also most artists and labels you can purchase mp3s directly from them through their website um there's other other ways as well so i'm a big like i bought a uh, i
0: bought a womack and womack lp off discogs last week because i've been listening to it uh, on a streaming site and it was one $1.50 $1. 50, um from Discogs but I bought a lot of other stuff but I wanted to own it you know it again but it, and it also mm. isn't one of those things that like it's not one of those albums that the like has got a big reissue or anything like that so it was just kind of like okay I want to own this but mm. the only option really to own it was to you know I wanted the physical thing but it was very very cheap but it was like an old album from 1988 you know so like that's how I do it. Generally, I would like buy the record. Or
1: you yeah, know, that's I think the way. I, I yeah. think what would be, what would be great is if there was. So I, I think there's there's kind of there's people like us who like having record collections and who you know to, to think about where money is going in terms of supporting music. And then there are people who use Spotify just to listen to music and they don't think too much about it. And music isn't maybe as big a part of their lives. It's not their job. It's not what their kind of primary interest is. And there's this kind of chasm in the middle of kind of accessibility for those two things. Like these, these people might not necessarily go home and put on a record. And it's I, I think if, if we could see something that like um, crosses the divide between, you know, cassette collectors and people who listen to the top 40 on Spotify in terms of yeah. accessibility and ease of use, it would be great um if if those kind of more hybrid models were were more readily available for people because you know i'm not expecting anyone to give up their top 40 um and i'm also you know i'm not i'm also not telling people to go like if you want to listen to your if you want to listen to the new drake album you have to go to the the record shop and like buy it or whatever you know so it's yeah i think for for me it's about bridging the gap between those two things um which is really difficult to think about
2: yeah it's a moment for people to really sort of like take stock of the the way that they support right. musicians but also the way that they um discover music and whether or not they're doing that in ways that are active or passive how to incorporate more sort of active um, music, music discovery into their media consumption. But, you know, I think something else that is a connecting dot here as well is that, you know, the big ongoing conversation about Spotify as a media conglomerate and platform responsibility, it's like, it's a media issue, right? And I think it's also a moment where people should really reflect and think about like, um, you know, what is the consequences of, um, you know, media conglomerates more generally, like, consolidating power Um, and one of those is that it stamps out the you know vibrancy of local media and independent media and I think it's also kind of really related for people to in this moment sort of like zoom out and to think about the local and independent radio stations either in their community or online that they um, care about because uh you know that also is like when we're talking about accessibility like local fm college community independent radio and online radio is an extremely accessible way to learn about um, independent music and those are independent media institutions that could always need and use support um and i I think it's like it really does connect to this it's kind of like a media justice conversation you know in the Mm, grand scheme of things um so personally i also am a fan of uh being like you know take your 9.99 a month and set up a recurring donation to like your favorite online radio station or like local community station and like um you know if there, if you're just looking for something to kind of like put on during the day while you're working or something, and like discover some new music, like that is a a great way as well.
0: Yeah, um, I think it's interesting you bring up the radio actually, because like we have two examples here. Even in the last week, you know, um, a, a very prominent. Um, Irish music show called Totally Irish, uh, it was taken off the air last week after 12 years, um, and that's uh, really terrible. And in general, there's been a very much a dirt of of um, Irish music broadcasting as uh, larger corporations take over the uh, radio stations um, and that's reflected in the programming but also yeah there is a, like we had, do have a, a couple of examples of things that are positive like there's Dublin Digital Radio which is a community-led uh, radio station that does exactly that like it is you know community-led um, so there are examples there are places to look for things like that as well you know and then like you know we have a public broadcaster as well but you know I mean they have improved in the, in the last few years of Of uh, showing um, Of supporting Irish music For sure But then You know There's a lot of talk At the moment About you know Different shows Being moved around And maybe losing Some more outlets So then again The local kind of the Irish music scene is uh, again in a deficit in terms of the places that it can find it can it can be shared it can be heard it can be broadcast as opposed to like narrow cast to one person as well so which is obviously you know a harder thing for an artist as well so and that is the wider thing and i think there's there's bigger conversations at the moment about um, but
1: that's that's us seeing the impact of that kind of
0: yeah kind of i was just going to say the the bigger impact of you know those conversations from the pandemic of the last couple of years is that we are now in Ireland talking about universal basic income for artists. And that is the first time that's really like, it's, it's been on the cards for a while, but it looks like it's really going to happen in the next couple of years. Um, and that's because there's been a recognition that actually this needs to happen because (laughs) there is literally no alternative, you know, for, for an artist to have a living wage. Um, so I think that's really interesting because we are moving in that way. Um, Mm. after quite a number of years of having very little, um, you know, in terms of opportunity. So, yeah, I think that's our ways we can, we can, that is maybe this is being addressed in a way, you know.
2: It's a really important part of the conversation. And I'm I'm really curious how that came about in Ireland, like who put the idea on the table and fought for it, because I feel like, you know, it's this kind of this bigger conversation about the need for public funding in the arts that I think um, encompasses like the need for public funding for things like, um, you know, subsidized streaming services, uh, local media, um, independent media outlets, but, you know, also, in, for artists to be able to just like cover their living expenses and continue doing what they're doing. Like these are important conversations that Mm. need to happen. Do you know, like about how
0: it came about in Ireland? Um, I think it's been, it's been, I was talked about a a number of times over the last like 10 or 15 years. Um, and I can't really tell you exactly where it came from, and it was one of the ideas, mm-hmm. but I certainly there's a national campaign for the arts here who've been very instrumental in um <laughs> a lot of prominent arts people in Ireland who are actually you know talking to the government directly and who are representing the industry and have been doing that throughout the pandemic as well and that is one thing actually that has been quite good in terms of the last couple of years a lot of people who never had to talk to the government uh, officials before are now talking to uh, politicians about the industry like we've we've had here two years of where it was very clear that even though we have a minister for arts and culture that um the government as a whole didn't really understand what the live entertainment industry was and what that entailed and therefore we had a number of issues in terms of some of the restrictions and how they were applied to the industry that just made no sense um so i think it's we a, a, couple it's a couple blunders thing.
1: from ministers <laughs> who kind of mentioned things like um eating e- eating in uh like nightclubs and stuff like that and where it's just like oh you you haven't been to a nightclub since 1978. <laughs> but why <laughs> than that, like
0: we had these whole <laughs> yeah. pilot events last year, which were, you know, like, oh, we, we're going to pilot these events for live, for the return of live music, which were just not based in reality at all whatsoever. Mm. And everyone was standing around in like pens or pods and it's just made no sense. And they didn't yeah. do anything with the data. They didn't even generate any data from these um, events. So it was just pointless a PR exercise. And everyone thought that at the time, but was hopeful because there was literally nothing else that we mm. could pin our hopes on in terms of Mm. the return of live music so we kind of hoped that they weren't just bullshitting us but obviously Mm. they were but it does (laughs) seem
1: now that um enough people have made enough noise that they're at least listening to artists and and like even beyond just musicians like the the that, that that campaign for a living wage would also um help out like novelists and playwrights and kind of the more the kind of broader arts world so
0: yeah a, and, and also a, i mean another way to
1: like support um is to get behind campaigns like that as well
0: yeah we've had a history of um actual uh, support of creative artists in ireland with the Astana um since 1981 so there is um noted kind of members who, who basically get a, essentially a living wage every year they they uh would incorporate like visual artists literature and uh, musicians architects choreography and um, so there's a big list as donna is what that's called that's an arts council mm. funded thing so so we do have a precedent in terms of uh what that happens i think what what happens now is like how that's going to shake out in terms of the universal basic basic income and who, apl- who can apply for it and who is what the criteria is mm. and i think that's that's where the next um, probably crux of the the thing is, you know, whether it'll support a band like pillow Queens, for example, who were doing quite well. And they said, you know, I mean, if we had this basic income, then we could focus on our career and growing that career as opposed to having to do a part-time job or whatever it is. So that's where it kind of makes the biggest difference, I think. Um, Mm -hmm. But in in a wider way, we're actually looking at changing our licensing laws, which are very restrictive in terms of events anyway. So, there's a whole process of a uh, slowly a slow upheaval happening in terms of modernizing uh, i Ireland's i would be very licensing. interested to
1: see how streaming um comes into that conversation and i would really like to see it come into that conversation um because even just seeing things like the the more kind of local library initiatives that you were writing about Liz um it's hard to uh imagine that it would be that difficult for a country the size of Ireland to implement something like if if in the states it can be implemented on like a kind of a state by state basis or something you know Ar- Ar- Ireland's very small um, and our our kind of our our libraries have a kind of a centralized kind of you know governing system and it's it would be difficult to imagine that that would be difficult to implement i think yeah
2: yeah, yeah i think it's um In some ways, I think that, you know, the conversation around streaming often kind of gets put in this box of being a cultural conversation. But the past few years, I think it has been really clarified for a lot of musicians and people who are involved in music and people who work in music, the extent to which a lot of these conversations that we've been having for so long are actually conversations that have so much to do with politics and labor and seeing people sort of like, Um, Organize and get involved in um, the kind of process of like pushing this more into the realm of being um, a a political fight, I think is really important. And it does seem so overwhelming in the United States because our funding for the arts is um, so abysmal and has been for so long, which is, I think, in some ways, why. I think it makes a little bit more sense for people to be thinking about this like on a local level here um, first at least. Um, but yeah, it would be incredible to see projects like this take off in Ireland. I think it would provide like a really um, uh, important like model for other places too. Yeah, so, could be interesting. And I think as well,
0: <laughs> you know, I mean, the art we talked about, like we talk a lot about community and, you know, uh, especially people power lately in terms of, um, having to address the uh, political issues that are clearly uh, on display for a lot of people in terms of planning and development and all that kind of stuff and licensing. But yeah, I think there is like something to be said there for like you talked about libraries and and, and Roly, uh, Caden's Weapon talks about that in uh, in that article as well. He said, uh, I love the idea of libraries as venues, recording studios, even just using a public space as a hangout. And the really important thing about libraries is that they're free public spaces. They don't ask anything of you. And here, like we've had a lot of cultural spaces taken away from us, we've had public spaces taken away from us in the last number of years, and it's not getting any better. And so. I think there is an opportunity, certainly, to reimagine what a public space like a library could be. And I think, mm. Andre, actually, you are you are close to a very nice library, aren't you? I,
1: I- love the library. I go very often. Um, I don't actually rent. I used to rent uh, movies from the library, um, and I don't really as much anymore because I'm now a slave to basically all of the platforms um, and uh but I like you, you can get music at the library too that's sh- that actually down in in um or the, the the Dunleary library has a really really great collection of music and I think you could I think you can stream like audiobooks and things like that so I don't know why like maybe maybe there could be something where they could where they could um look into streaming music but um Libraries are great. I I love the library. Yeah, we use the
0: audio. My granny, my granny, my my mother gets my granny the uh, the audiobooks from the library, the street. Yeah, and yeah, listens to them.
1: It's so. a, like like they're free. You know, they cost yeah. like sixteen ninety nine on Amazon.
0: To yeah, buy but what's audio the catch, book. Andrea? What's You're the saying, catch? There's no
1: catch, Nile. <laughs> There's no catch. The library is the best. Sorry, I light like, up uh, when I yeah. talk about the library. <laughs> I <just love> it.
2: <laughs> yeah, and the interesting thing to you about a lot of the library streaming projects that I researched and pe- folks I spoke to who are involved in them too is that at least um, among some of these projects that exist in the U.S. and Canada there's really this sense that a lot of these libraries are envisioning their local music streaming projects not just as these digital offerings, like, you know, a lot of them were really quick to be like, it's not just Spotify for libraries. Like these are digital public spaces where we bring in musicians and we hire them to be curators of these projects. And then they're involved in kind of like helping, um, you know, uh, with the process of building out mixes and um, deciding who's going to be on the platform and organizing events. And it's kind of think of these, not just as like, um, yeah, like digital uh, offerings, but also as kind of like, um, helping artists like connect with each other. And um, I heard some really interesting proposals for, um, you know, the library kind of being this space that helps musicians connect with other people in the community who are looking to like hire musicians for different um, events and opportunities and stuff. Um, and I think, yeah, there I think there's a lot of potential um there. And everything you said about public space is like so important and relevant as well, like yeah, even beyond libraries. Like um, you know, I'm I'm really glad to see the conversation take this direction because to me, so much of the conversation that is happening, um, you know, people obviously music is something that is really personal to a lot of people, and I think people get really like um, passionate when anything having to do with the way that they relate, um, to music is like questioned or, um, deemed, uh, problematic or changes or, um, you know, people feel like a really sense, a really, um, intense sense of like closeness to the music that is important to them, which is why I think it's like all the more important that in this moment, we sort of like really all kind of like take stock of our relationship with music and like whether or not these like, yes, whether or not it was serving musicians, but also like whether or not having this kind of like passive lean back corporate managed relationship with music, whether it be through Spotify or something that's paying like 0.2 cents more is really like the way that we want to relate to music and like have it in our lives or would it be more fulfilling to kind of like have more direct and more like in-depth relationships with the musicians we care about and also like the musicians in our community. Mm -hmm.
0: All right, Liz. Do that's great. Thanks so work. much. Thank um, anything else you want to add, Andrea?
2: Um, or,
0: or ask? Join about your
2: library.
1: It's free. <laughs> um, <laughs> check out the um, articles from Liz that we were reading beforehand. We'll, I think we will be able to link them. Um, they are really, really fascinating, and I found them very um, inspiring in terms of thinking about what could be done here. Um, because whenever I see initiatives happen in Um, the US especially I just can't help but think how small we are in comparison and therefore how much easier it's going to (laughs) be so um, so yeah do do check those out but thank you so much uh, Liz it was really enlightening chat
2: thank you so much for speaking with me and also like if anyone listens to this um, who is not familiar with the universal basic income uh, proposal for musicians in Ireland I would definitely think that everyone should check that out as well
0: yeah yeah um it's basicincome.ie is a, a a website actually where you can learn more about it um so yeah yeah it's all cool. it's all very um it's all very present at the moment mm. which is great you know so uh, an opportunity to to reimagine how things uh could be since we've had things shut for so long so mm. there's a bit of there's definitely some positivity in that front right that was uh liz pelly and uh delighted to finally get uh, liz on the podcast be meaning to do it for a long long time and uh a lovely guest i'm sure we, we may talk to her again at some point as well so that's it from us this week um i hope that you have some um, information armed with some information now in terms of the alternatives to streaming obviously like you know the biggest thing is really you need to support the artist directly. And I think what was interesting during the pandemic, I remember like casual music fans going stream the artist you love on Spotify. I think even that kind of idea is a little bit gone now because people kind of understand that's not really happening, but I think it does still happen for a lot of people. I would like to mention very briefly because I did see it this week. um, There's a new Irish streaming service, independent Irish streaming service, which uses a user centric model. It's called Minim. M I N M and uh, I think it's M I N M. Hold on. M I N (laughs) M I N M dot co. So you can see that. Um, There's a lot of, uh, it's quite a lot of Irish music on already. Uh, I see. So um, yeah, interesting that that's happening as well. And it kind of feeds in with the idea that you don't actually need, uh, it's making a conscious decision to support a local platform in some way, whether that's local musicians. Um, or local artists or local publication, so uh, I do believe that's a uh, very interesting and resonated.is was the other one that we mentioned there as well as along with Bandcamp, of course, which is you know uh, maybe maybe needs to be said more often that Bandcamp. If you do buy something from it, does have a little app that you can stream. Music from on your phone mm-hmm. or whatever, so yeah, very useful, very very useful. So yeah, um, I'm presume we will turn we will uh, return to this topic at some point um, soon, but uh yeah, hope you found something of interest there.
1: Okay, thanks everyone. We'll all see right. you next week when we'll be at uh, Blackgate in Galway.
0: Yeah, and so next week our, uh, we're doing a special from Blackgate Galway, and uh, we'll tell you all about what Blackgate is and what they do next week. All right. And Bye. See ya.